0: You're talking about an accountant that is willing to be curious enough about the business model that is willing to go out and learn from these other departments and be the glue that pulls it all together. It's the business model that we're talking about here. It's beyond just the numbers.
1: Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies.
2: I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at the independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm, Elevate IQ. Some entrepreneurs might not choose to hire help because they might make less. Also, their ego might, might prevent building a business with the exit strategy in mind, but the others already have their game figured out. They know when to delegate and how to decouple the business from them. To ensure that the business is completely decoupled from the founders. In today's episode, our guest, Roger Connect, discusses the challenges entrepreneurs face with business growth. He also discusses why it's important to build a business with an exit strategy in mind. Finally, he discusses the art of delegation and why skill set and their ability to hire the right expertise play an important role why certain entrepreneurs are widely successful while others are not. Let me introduce Roger to you. Roger Connect is the president at Universal Accounting Center for more than 20 years. Roger Connect has helped thousands of business owners and accounting professionals start and build their companies. In that time, he has created programs to address each aspect's of running a business and helped author red to black the how-to guide for accountants to help clients with the most common challenges faced in business cash flow and in the black nine principles to make your business profitable with that let's get to the conversation hey roger welcome to the show
0: it's great to be here
2: Of course. And I am super excited to have you as well. Anytime I have anybody from the accounting and finance community, it's always a pleasure to dig into transactions. It's always fun, right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, it's a morbid curiosity. Let's just say that. Exactly.
2: Exactly. So we are going to have a lot of fun with that. If my listeners might not know you, I know you are super popular. Do you want to start with your quick intro
0: and your current focus, Roger? Certainly. So Roger Connect, President, Universal Accounting Center. I've uh, been working here for about 20 plus years, 10 of which I've been the president of the company. Uh, We basically started in 1979 helping accounting professionals with their careers, particularly focused on helping individuals start and build their accounting, bookkeeping, and tax business.
2: Okay. Very interesting. So I do have a fun question for you regarding your last name. I don't know where that is coming from. And when I look at the pronunciation of this, it almost sounds like a brand, as if you were branded from the get-go. <laughs> you were you were given from your birth because you know when I hear the word Connect, I mean, what rings in my head is Software Connect. Uh, is oh. the company that. <laughs>
0: Well, it's a German word. It actually means slave or servant. And uh, from its German, Slavic, uh, Dutch background, uh, you're able to actually get that connotation. But, yeah, it's pronounced connect like connect the dots.
2: Very interesting. Very interesting. I could have never done that if you hadn't told me. (laughs) So thank you so much (laughs) for that. Um, Now, we have one of these standard questions that we ask every single guest, Roger. Uh, you know, before we dig into the background and the topic that we want to discuss today, and yeah. that is going to be your perspective
0: on... Business growth. Well, I, I don't know what context you want to ask this uh, first of all I'll address it from the small business perspective. Yeah I think that there's always a lot to be said about the opportunity that exists for that entrepreneurial spirit I do believe in the American dream and I applaud anyone that is willing to go out there and start their business Where I think a lot of people struggle is obviously transitioning from that solo entrepreneur state into more of a small business Category and that can range into the hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars depending on how you want to define small business. But either way, there's different thresholds that, ex- that one experiences as they grow the business, hiring their first employee, yep. hiring their first manager. There's a lot of things that are these monumental uh, experiences that for the individual first experiencing them, it's daunting. You know, How do I justify when I'm a solo entrepreneur Hiring someone to do a job that I'm currently paid to do, and if I pay them, it's less money I get to take home. That's a big deal. When you get to the point of hiring management, management's in a position where you're going to hire someone that's going to take over your role, but take on a non-revenue producing uh, responsibility. Hopefully seeing that they can influence all the other revenue producers to produce more And so this context of I need to make big decisions can be very big So where do I see business going a lot of growth? I think there's a lot to be said about Business opportunities in the small business sector and uh, that's something that I'm quite passionate about Obviously in the large corporations the international businesses. There's a lot to be said. There's tariffs going on There's things going on to open up barriers close down barriers Mm -hmm. There's a lot going on in Asia with the various conflicts that we have there. Same with uh, the uh, Eastern European type uh, issues that we're dealing with with the war in Ukraine. So there's a lot of elements there that we could discuss, but small business, that's what I have to share.
2: Yeah. So very interesting perspective. And I definitely want to unpack a little bit there overall in terms of your experience when you work with these small businesses. So, what are some of the major factors that you are seeing overall when you are looking at a person who's going to be solopreneur and i completely agree with your assessment as well that sometimes there is going to be a mindset shift in thinking that okay now i am hiring a new employee and you had mentioned a layer there that you know what i am not going to be making as much if i hired somebody now there are two aspects to it number one is going to be it's a real mindset that okay it's all about me it's all about my money but not every entrepreneur is like that to be honest okay Sometimes it's also could be that, okay, if I hire somebody, then that's going to be a fixed expense. But I don't really have the same certainty from the revenue. If you are doing some sort of retail business, you know, then it's a different case. Then your revenue is sort of consumerized, then you don't have as much. of. But let's say if you look at slightly more B2B centric business where you might have two projects, three projects, five projects, uh, maybe 50 jobs, something like that. And you are not sure whether you are going to get the same that you have in this quarter versus the next quarter, this year versus the next year, sometimes the decision could be slightly more difficult. So you have any any commentary there? Do you agree, disagree with me? I,
0: I do. <laughs> you, you actually commented on a few things that I could address. One yeah. is I think there's a big distinction between someone who, although they run and own a business, they do it as a job it's a way that they provide for their household income and it's what they see that they do as an employment versus someone who's building a business with the intent of building an asset that they could eventually sell it's it's that entrepreneurial spirit of i'm building a company with this exit strategy in mind other people when they're starting businesses they just look at it as this is a way to employ myself stay busy and the first person i hire is myself they have no intentions of necessarily exiting the business selling the company and so when you come at it with those two different perspectives you make different decisions one of the other things that i would add is also a a mentality and attitude towards money if you have a scarcity mindset, you're not willing to invest and actually take risks as much as if you have an abundance mindset. And so if you can work with individuals that have this venture capitalist mindset of I'm trying to invest, build something, I'm going to flip it, you have a different outlook on what the business world looks like. And so when you quickly start talking to business owners, you can assess which of the two scenarios they're in. If they're very conservative and they're very restrictive in their revenue, it's simply because they're unwilling to risk it because they see it is their livelihood that's at risk. When you look at an investor, they're looking at as, what can I do to leverage this so that I can make more money? And they're looking at it with an exit strategy typically in place. I'm going to leave this and move on to the next opportunity. Two totally different mindsets, each of which are entrepreneurial, but they're different in the context of what they're willing to risk and why they're doing it.
2: Yeah, completely agree. And I am going to build a little bit more and then probably you can offer some more commentary there. And uh, overall, Mm -hmm. when we look at the emotional aspect, you know, from the, uh, you know, the comment that you had mentioned that entrepreneurial is spread the American dream. Great. You know, we all want everybody to become the entrepreneur. But there is also going to be sort of the business aspect. Right. You mentioned that, you know what? you need to think about your business, whether you are building it more from the venture perspective or is it really the likely? I will tell you this, okay? And you can call me out if you want, okay? Uh, that 90% of the businesses, especially the smaller ones, okay? They are not going to get anywhere. They will never be able to exit. And the reason for that is one of the biggest criteria that the buyer is, and I'm pretty sure, Roger, if you are the buyer or I'm the buyer, you know, that's, we are looking at risks to the business. And the biggest risk, any small business, Can ever have is going to be the affiliation of the founder or founders coupling with the business model. If the founder is doing everything, knows everything, okay, a lot of risk for an investor. They don't want those businesses, okay? So, unless you have created the uh, repeatable uh, and the scalable processes, your business is not gonna go anywhere in general, okay? So, that's what I have seen. But typically, founders struggle with that. Number one, they don't have a formal education in business. That's the biggest problem. They might be creator. They might be good at something. They might be good at doing something. That's how most businesses start. But they don't really have the formal business education, supply chain edu- education, operations management education. They might have figured out how to sell, but selling is not enough to scale business. Would you agree with me? Disagree with me?
0: I completely agree with you. As you were speaking, I was reminded of Michael Gerber's technician having an entrepreneurial seizure in the book, The E-Myth. What you're talking about is people that actually start businesses with the intent of offering a product or a service that they're very good and passionate with, but what they create for themselves is a job. It's a business that's dependent upon them as a business owner, and they have to be there to make anything and everything happen. What you're describing, however, is a business that becomes autonomous from the business owner. What I like to say is that the company needs to become independent of the owner, a, self, uh, a self-sustaining, a self living, breathing entity that is apart from the owner. And once you do that, you've put in place, hopefully, the processes, the procedures that other employees can implement to ensure quality and at the same time take care of the client. And what you've built now is a business. This business is something that the business owner is no longer employed in. They're actually now a visionary, a leader. They're actually an owner investing in it. And what we're trying to do here is now, like you were looking at it from a a, an, a purchase perspective, whether it be a bank or a VC, you're looking at it from the outside in and you're saying, how autonomous is that company from the owner? And the more that it's autonomous because of the processes and procedures in place, the key employees, the better because now it's a business that is An entity separate from the owner itself.
2: Yeah, could not agree more. So we are going to unpack a little bit more and going to uh, you know touch on a couple of more scenarios. So the other factors that I see in this particular case, when I look at any small business, um, number one is going to be, and that is aligned with what you had mentioned before, hiring that first employee. And typically, in my experience, unless you are looking at slightly more professional services businesses, even in those, it could be problematic. But in general. I would say 60% of the business owners, they don't know how to work with an expert, okay? They are always going to feel that the problem is with the experts and not really with me, but maybe they never worked in a team. Maybe they never worked in a Fortune 500 organization because that's where you sort of learn the team skill. okay? In bigger organizations, it's all about team. It's not about accounting versus procurement. It's not about I mean, companies don't grow like that when you have that kind of mindset, right? So it's always going to be okay, how can I build this team culture and how can I really respect this expert who is coming to help me? How can I provide enough inputs so that this person can do his or her job? In my mind, I think that is the biggest inflection point when I look at these small business owners. And that is probably the challenge. That they struggle with when they are hiring first employee, second employee, and sometimes it's, it's, it's a challenge. Do you agree with that? Disagree?
0: I, I do. And I, the way I would describe what you've shared is, first of all, ego. I think oftentimes what we're dealing with is ego, and we're in a position where because the business owner isn't open-minded, they're unwilling to either work with or outsource to or collaborate with other individuals that are experts. that can bring some needed resources to the business that the business owner isn't an expert in, and more importantly – even in their own ability to do what they do well, recognize that other people do other things just as well, if not better. And so what we're trying to do here is like you use the word team is in order for a business to thrive, we have to recognize that the business owner comes from a perspective of strength. They're the owner, but they need to empower those around them. They need to actually surround themselves with other people that are phenomenal in other necessary parts of the business model, marketing, sales, fulfillment, onboarding, technology, They might be great at one or two of those, but they're not going to be great at everything. None of us are. And so are you willing to set aside the ego and hire and work with and outsource to people that are better than you to actually grow the business? Or is your ego going to keep you closed minded and unwilling to actually kind of open yourself up to potentials of growth?
2: Yeah, and honestly speaking, I would clarify just one thing there. So yes, the uh-huh. when we think about these business owners, ego is the most common thing that most people are going to say. But in my experience, to be fair with them, it's not always the ego. It's also the skill set. And I don't think people understand the difference between a skill set versus the ego when it comes to working with other people. Working with other people is a skill Okay, that's a learning process. It requires you to learn the framework. It requires you to understand how the other person is thinking if you are an accountant okay you need to understand how procurement works if you are a procurement person you need to understand how sales work if you're a sales person you need to understand how the accountant typically the way we are educated okay we are either going to know accountant accounting or it or procurement or sales okay we are never taught the others profession in the pro- other problem that i see is if somebody knows, let's say, if an accountant is going to know a little bit about IT, then they want to do everything about IT. Then working with an expert. So working with someone requires understanding of their job and then work with them. That language itself is a differentiator in my mind. So do you agree with this? What would you say to
0: that? Yeah, I understand what you're saying. The way I would actually address this, and this is how I've had my conversations with business owners yeah. is educating them that rather than them seeing themselves as having all of the answers, I help them recognize that their role as the owner is to actually have all the right questions. Exactly. They need to be going to all the people that they're working with, whether employed or contracted, they need to be going in with the intent of asking the right questions and surrounding themselves with the people that have the right answers. You need to get to a point where you can grow your business where, where no longer you're the hub or spoke of, or the hub of the whole interaction, you need to actually now be willing to delegate and in doing so trust other people. And so asking the right questions, when you can get a business owner that can know enough about all the things that you just described, enough about technology, procurement, sales, fulfillment, all these other things to where they're able to manage through asking the right questions, you're empowering the people around you and you're letting them thrive where they are best done. So It's no longer that the business owner needs to know everything. They need to be able to ask questions about everything.
2: Okay, so there is another layer that I want to touch on on that. So let's say if you're asking questions, but if you don't really understand how to evaluate the answers or how to ask the right question, then you sort of get into noise. Okay, and obviously in the market, there is a lot of noise and that's also a challenge. And the other challenge that these business owners are going to run into is if I am going to be doing all the research about the trade, then I will rather do the job, myself. Okay? So <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Ron. <laughs> go ahead.
0: Well, what what you bring up is no, the old adage of nobody can do it as well as I can do it. It's It's exactly. hard to delegate when you assume <laughs> that people just aren't going to have the commitment, the dedication that you would, the attention to detail that you perhaps would. Uh, that's fine. I understand that. Um, what I would encourage you to consider is what are you doing to train the individual to be better at what they're supposed to be doing, giving them the tools that they need to be better at what they're doing, delegating to them, the authority to make these decisions that they need to be making. Because sometimes what we're doing as leaders, whereas we're inhibiting them to be as good as they need to be. And that's what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, could not agree
2: more. Um, now the other layer that we might be able to touch on here. And I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of the opportunity cost. I don't think the business owners are really taught, uh, with the concept of the opportunity cost, the way they should be looking at the, especially if they look at the hourly rate that they are going to pay to some of these expertise that they are going to be hiring. And sometimes that's very alarming for them because they don't know how to compute the cost of their own Internal employees, sometimes they are going to say, you know what, my employee is costing $40,000, 60000 but they don't necessarily understand what is the overarching cost and how to translate that into the hourly rate that could be comparable with the... And sometimes, actually, you know what, I mean, we hire the external expertise all the time. Sometimes we get far more reliability, far more expertise with the external talent. So internal talent is always not going to be a good idea in general. So do you see the same thing uh, with the customers that you are dealing with? Uh, or do they know how to compute the opportunity cost and evaluate between the external versus... In- well,
0: I... I- I think I'm going to answer your question. What I think you're uh, alluding to is the fact that there are a number of calculations, numbers that as a business leader, we need to be gaining that are beyond just what are traditionally the accounting numbers. What we need to be doing is diving deeper into the business model and actually having someone that has a number sense, such as the accountant, help us calculate these various ratios and costs. And as we learn more of the business model that we're operating, we're going to identify areas that we can tweak and improve areas that will result in more uh, money resulting in the bottom line. And that's what we're trying to do here is find these levers that are outside of the accounting model that are perhaps based on leading and lagging indicators within the business model. We're looking at key performance indicators, all of which are outside of the accounting norm that we can actually manage and watch. And as we identify these key levers, we're able to then manipulate them so that we can actually derive more money to the bottom line and thus increase our profit margins.
2: Yeah, and I completely agree with you. In fact, I mean, uh, you know, we are going to talk a little bit about the post that we were looking at on LinkedIn. I looked at your post. uh, You know, you were talking about how accountants need to be involved uh in the overall processes and the kind of you know value that they bring to the table and i kind of agree with that but organizationally speaking culturally speaking okay if you look at the state of the small business traditionally how the business operated okay it was always a wall between how accounting operated versus how business operated even today okay if you look at the state of the small business any business that is going to be i would say sub 10 million dollars you know lower than 10 million dollars all of those businesses the way they are operating at this point of time they are going to have a bookkeeping firm okay they are sending their bills and invoice to the bookkeeping firm bookkeeping firm is the only one who knows what sort of happens in the UK, okay the business owner does not know anything about that uh, there is a little wall in the isolation there so now my uh, challenge with this is unless you break that wall you're not going to get the KPIs, okay? What happens in the accounting is just pure math, okay? If you really want to get the real KPIs that happen in the business, those are actually your operational KPIs. Uh, you know, those are going to be whatever is happening in your warehouse, projects, jobs, construction site, <laughs> you know, fields. That's where the real KPIs are. KPIs are not in the book. So what would you say about breaking this wall, uh, Roger?
0: Well, there's a few things and you're, you're touching on a number of topics that are very interesting to me. To, to me. So I'm going to answer your question with two very distinct Responses. The first is, in business, I feel that there's a misunderstanding as to what can be expected of the accounting profession. And so for every business owner listening, for every accounting professional that hears what I'm about to say, understand that we need to expect more from the accounting profession. So the business owner, what they should be expecting from the accountant that they're working with, whether it's one individual, a department, is first and foremost, these six things that I describe as making up the three core fundamental elements of accounting you first is bookkeeping and accounting, second is tax planning and preparation, the third being CFO and advisory services. Your accountant or accountants should be meeting each of these responsibilities. Let me describe each of them very quickly. Bookkeeping is, as you were describing, preparing the financial reports, the balance sheet income statement and cash flow statement, so that the business owner can have a a pure record of what's happened in the company. But this is historical. The bookkeeping is basically providing those reports in a timely manner, hopefully with within a, uh, a few days of the close of the month and every month getting those reports to the business leader but that's not enough accounting needs to step in and the accountant needs to now analyze these reports they need to be looking at how are the trends within the organization now happening what are the ratios that are occurring in the business are the ratios this month different than last month different than this month compared to let's say the same month last year this quarter to previous quarter this quarter to the same quarter last year And the reason why is we're trying to look at things such as what's the cost of goods relationships to total income? Is inflation impacting our gross profit margins so that we need to increase prices because we're not earning enough on the sales that we're making? Why? Because external factors are impacting our cost of goods. We're going to be looking at advertising costs of gross profit. Has our ROI on the advertising changed? Payroll. We're going to be going through a number of these things from an accounting perspective to assess what's going on. And does the business model need to change? Now, when you're looking at it that way, let's now go to tax. Tax planning and preparation. Preparation's easy. It's filing the tax returns in a timely manner and having somebody that knows where to put the numbers on the return and get it filed. But planning so essential. So many businesses can effectively lower legally their tax liability working with a tax specialist when you look at various things that certain industries can leverage to their benefit from the tax code. Cost segregation, R&D tax credits. There are so many various things that you can actually implement within a business that will minimize or mitigate your tax liability. But that's only done if you're using a tax planning specialist to implement those during the current tax year. Once the year's over, it doesn't matter. So many of those things are no longer relevant. Now, let's go for CFO and advisory. CFO, in the business, do you actually have in place the proper policies to manage cash flow? What are your relationships with your vendors as to your net terms as to when you're paying them? What are your relationships with your lending institutions such as your banks, your venture capitalists, the, the people that are giving you the money? All of those things at a CFO level need to be addressed because there is where you're actually managing the accounts payable, the accounts receivable. You're determining how the cash is flowing within the organization, and that's critical to its livelihood. The other is advisory. Advisory is then looking at the business as a whole, considering the exit strategy. We're trying to build an organization that has a certain valuation at at some point. What does that valuation need to be? And we backwards engineer what's that company needing to look like in the end. Do we have a subscription model pay system? Do we actually have contracts? You know, how are we building the organization based on the processes and procedures that you were alluding to earlier? All of those things from a business advisor standpoint are hugely important that the accountant can be involved in, if not delivering. Well, when you consider those six elements, those hugely impact the business leaders. They're running their company and they're all being derived from the accounting profession. Now let's take it another level. You were talking about leading indicators, KPIs, all these things. Well, these numbers are outside of the accounting scope, and they're operational. Well, if they're not being managed and looked at, unfortunately, the company can be blindsided. Why are things down at the the manufacturing plant? Well, it's because the machine was down. We couldn't have the hours worked. Therefore, we worked 400 hours less last month. Well, why? Well, we ran out of this part. This thing broke down. Uh, these employees got sick with COVID, and we're out of the office. We ran out of this particular part. We couldn't assemble this any longer. Well, where was the part? Well, it's in a in a in a dock over at the port, and we can't get it here. Well. You should have told me this 30 days ago. This is the type of stuff that is operational that doesn't even happen on the balance sheet, on the P&L, but it is happening operationally, and we need to know these numbers. But the accounting department can assist with all these things because they're great at collecting those numbers and reporting those, and that's where dashboarding becomes so important. So two huge elements of running a business efficiently and effectively, all of which are derived from the numbers.
2: Yeah, and what you are talking about right now, to be completely honest, is what is called ERP, okay? (laughs) And accountants are probably going to be the first people who are not going to be comfortable with the idea of ERP. And I'll tell you why, okay? Why is that? (laughs) Because that requires upgrading your skills. That requires understanding how other departments operate. That requires understanding of data modeling. There are some accountants who have sort of uh, you know, jump that cliff and they are able to understand how ERP systems work and, and what is going to be the value when they are going to be an ERP system. But typically, the challenge in that is then they want to control the whole ERP and then they struggle with the implementation. The reason for that is because it requires far deeper, you know, IT expertise, far deeper your uh, procurement expertise sales expertise so the whole idea or the comment that i'm trying to make here when you are going to be in that state when you need to be slightly more you can't be just accountant 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 you have to come to the same table okay you have to work as a team an accountant could be the best people to lead the cause but in general when i talk to any teams they are the first ones who are going to shut down the idea of ERP because they feel that <laughs> it's going to be too hard. Okay, I'm going to lose the control because QuickBooks is easy. Okay, I'm going to I'm gonna get everything in my spreadsheet and I can analyze easily. In this case, I'm going to lose a lot more control and that's a fear that they have. So the problem is not necessarily with the business owners, in my opinion, okay? <laughs> the problem is really with the accountants. That's been my experience. I don't know. I mean... <laughs> No, I'm going
0: to, I'm actually going to agree with you because what we're discussing here is something that in many cases is foreign to the accounting professional. It is something that they need to do that they're not necessarily trained or encouraged to do. But I'm going to give you a word that I think helps that transition, helps the accountant step into this space comfortably. And it's curiosity. When a, when, a, when an accountant has a curiosity about the business and wants to step into what you're describing as these operational numbers, key performance indicators, and so forth, that gets them out of the office and a, and out into the workforce. And let me give you an example. I'll give you an actual one from a colleague of mine. He used to work for a mine, and in working for the mine, the accountants would typically stay back in the office. They yeah. would crunch the numbers, but he would once a month go out onto out into the mine and he would go down into the open pit and he would interact with some of the other employees. And he got to kind of know the intricacies of the business model. He understood what was behind the numbers. So one time he was at a meeting and in the meeting they were looking at the numbers and the numbers were showing a decline in production in the mine. There was no one in the office that could answer the question but him because he was able to say, yes, I was down at the mine two weeks ago and in the mine these machines were stuck in the mud and couldn't produce well, the numbers didn't say what had happened. They just said production was down. Well, when I can explain that I was in the mine and the mine had these the, this equipment stuck and they couldn't get it out of the mud and therefore production was down. He was the only one in the room that could articulate what was going on in the business model outside of the numbers. And that's what we're talking about here. You're talking about an accountant that is willing to be curious enough about the business model that is willing to go out and learn from these other departments and be the glue that pulls it all together. It's the business model that we're talking about here is yeah. beyond just the numbers
2: yeah I could not agree more in fact the accountant does not even go need to go to the mind to be honest with the erp systems okay because they are the only ones who are going to have the end-to-end insight okay when you look at the the way the erp systems work so most of the erp systems depending upon the scope of the system sometimes they are going to be just the financial reporting ar ap gl uh, sometimes they could be your manufacturing production inventory depending upon the industry. sometimes it could be project management as part of the, the scenes. but the accounting and the finance department are the only ones who are going to have end-to-end visibility not even sales okay not even cfo mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. not even ceo and the reason for that is because you know typically when we configure their dashboards we don't give them all the right because they are not going to be Running in the tranches, they are not going to have as much IT expertise. So typically, if uh, my recollection is right, it's the controller who is always the admin. And controller is supposed to be the lead accountant. <laughs> my understanding yeah, is right. So,
0: so you remember when I was giving my explanation, I explained that this, the accountant was responsible to figure out what were going on with the correlations, the ratios of the yeah. numbers as they were being reported. Well, what I would add to that is whether it's in that accounting space that they're curious or at the CFO level, what we're looking for is somebody that can then give a narrative as to what's going on in the business as those changes are identified, as those those numbers are explained. They need to be communicated in a way that the business leaders, the leadership, can now make informed business decisions based on that. Now, here's what I'm trying to say, and listen closely to what I'm about to share. One of the things that I feel is missing is the fact that in the accounting role, recognizing that accounting is the language of business yeah. is that the accountant needs to become the interpreter the translator of yeah. what the company is trying to communicate via the numbers yeah. to the leadership that speaks English so if i'm the accountant i need to know accounting and i need to know english i need to know how to communicate the information in a way that it's now useful to the decision makers my job is to take the numbers create a narrative take yeah. that narrative communicate it in a way that is useful and that's where I feel the dis- the communication breaks down. I'm an accountant. I read accounting. I look at it. It tells a story to me. I love the story. Isn't that wonderful? Ha ha, hee hee. And all of a sudden it's done. But my job is now to communicate that story in a language to the decision maker that they find it now humorous or insightful or in- interesting. That's my job. And that's where I feel that so many in the accounting profession fail is they don't take now that that last step to take the accounting information and make yeah. it interesting and useful to the decision makers,
2: and honestly speaking, that's exactly is the intent of the ERP system. Okay, but the one of the barriers that I typically see overall from that inflection point where you are going to be so comfortable on QuickBooks, and I see all the points. Okay, sometimes I'm trying to analyze. Okay, why do these people like QuickBooks uh, or any other accounting systems that are going to be slightly easier, friendlier, customizable is the term that is typically used that these guys are going to use. So now when you look at these systems the way they are designed okay they are going to be slightly more the and you know when you are looking at the translation that requires a little bit more than english okay when you mentioned that (laughs) you know (laughs) that requires modeling your SKUs modeling your products modeling your offerings modeling your customers modeling your vendors and when i say modeling meaning when you are going to be using these basic accounting system You are going to use the text-based information. You are going to use the GL entries, and for accountants, that's natural. But with the ERP system, even the smaller ones, what they can do is they can isolate this whole accounting piece, okay, from the transaction. You, the only thing you need to worry about when you are capturing your sales order or a PO or a AP bill, okay, here is my customer, this is my amount, this is my price, discount, whatever. You don't have to worry about the GL account. GL accounts are configured in the background. Now, to enable that requires those modeling skills. That's a little bit more than English, and that's the inflection point. (laughs) Okay, that's what most people struggle with in that translation. They just don't understand why do they need to go through so many different hierarchies. That is going to make debugging and traceability a little bit more difficult in general, the way the transactions are traced. But that's where your KPIs are going to be. You have the end-to-end traceability. Okay, you have the end-to-end configuration, but that modeling is the inflection point for the smaller businesses. They will not understand unless they go through that journey a couple of times. (laughs) Uh,
0: Any build-up, any commentary there? But yeah, the comment that I would make is, therefore, what? If the business owner, the leaders that are paying for this system, if the people who are trying to get this information to be useful receive it, and look at it and are confused and are unable to answer, therefore, what? To make a business decision based on the information they're receiving, then the information being delivered is not useful. So what we have to understand is we, in the accounting space, need to do as much as we can to make this information useful. So if you're in a position where you're giving information to someone and they do not see how it applies to the decisions they're making as they're running the business, we are in trouble because they've spent a lot of money to get that data. That data is not useful at this point. We need to compile it into information reports that become a little bit more digestible. We need to now understand those reports. And then from that, we then can make more informed business decisions. So let me just answer it this way. We talk of what's called a a wisdom pyramid. The wisdom pyramid is basically four levels. It's taking data and from it creating information, compiling that into reports that's useful. But those reports are not useful unless they're reviewed regularly. It's from that that we get knowledge. Knowledge is the regular introduction to and exposure to those reports. Once we've had the opportunity to gain knowledge about the information we're receiving that's coming from the data, in time we are going to get now wisdom. Wisdom is the sixth sense for the information. We start to become intuitive as to what that data is going to tell us because of all the things that we're sensing around us. And now the information is turning into knowledge that confirms what we're we're suspecting. But that wisdom only comes after having been exposed to that knowledge on a consistent basis. We need data to give us information and reports. We have to look at that information and report on a regular basis to gain knowledge. Regular, consistent learnings then enable us to acquire a wisdom about our business.
2: Exactly. And when you are going to say that the reports are wrong or the wisdom is wrong or the insight information is wrong typically that is driven by number of variables in most of these systems what is going to have what what they are going to have is number one the number of variables are going to be a lot more and then the hierarchies that they are going to have are going to be a lot more as well and that's why it makes it so complex to trace all of those hierarchies so number one you need to understand how to model this to be able to get the right report right information right (laughs) insight. okay if you don't understand the modeling, and that's where the, the real expertise comes in, okay. And that's the inflection point for most people because they just don't understand. They are going to configure something just because, for example, let's say if I look at price, okay, I configure my price here, but the price could reside at 10 different places. And there is there are business rules inside these systems that are getting in. Okay, which price do you want to? Now that requires learning of these hierarchies. Now, if the accountants are willing to learn. The modeling, the hierarchy, then they will be empowered to produce the reports (laughs) that need to be
1: presented. Well,
0: Well, it's either that or work with someone that has the expertise that you're referring to. Because it's it's not that the accountant necessarily needs to be the expert in all things. Exactly. It's just that at the end of the day, they need to be able to communicate this information to the decision makers in a useful way. And so if they have a colleague or someone with whom they're working that can help with this expertise, then that's wonderful. Because I will go back to your earlier statement. Yeah. Not everyone is going to know everything. But a healthy curiosity about this will allow someone to work well with a colleague who has this skill set and then in the end basically combine what you're referring to with the accounting information so we can take a narrative to the decision makers and they can now have useful information. My, My point is simply I don't care how good the information is if it's not useful. That's the problem. We yep. we pride ourselves in providing all of these reports, all this information, having worked so hard to compile it. But at the end of the day, if the decision makers can't use it, what does it matter? We've, we've just gone, run up to the finish line, and we didn't cross the line to win the race.
2: Exactly. Could not agree more. Do you have anything that you wanted to cover that you could not cover? I know that we uh, went in a lot of different directions. I know we wanted to talk about The value drivers, I guess you had, I don't know if you want to touch
0: on them briefly. Uh, I'll say this about the value drivers. When we were speaking earlier, I alluded to the fact that in the advisor role, I feel that there's a lot of opportunities for us as accounting professionals to help business owners as they work towards increasing the valuation of their business. This helps with them in the banking world so that they can get the lines of credit and so forth that they're needing. We're also looking at VC investors so that we can actually allow them from an outside perspective, see that there is worth in the business. There's a system, a process that's worth investing in. Well, the point is, is these eight drivers in time, when addressed correctly, remove a lot of the risk that the business has. And when when we remove that risk, the valuation goes up dramatically. And that's what we're trying to do with the business owner is help them build in time an asset that they can be proud of. And in leaving, because everybody's going to leave, the business will continue to exist if if done correctly, once the owner has retired, sold it, whatever the case may be. But these eight drivers, when done by the advisor, not the bookkeeper, not the accountant, not the tech, the advisor stepping outside of purely the accounting role into other areas of the business, such as customer service, employees, all these things need attention. And they make up one of these eight elements that determine the valuation of a business. And so we we talked about those and uh, maybe on another occasion we can dive into them in more detail.
2: Exactly. Yeah, we can always do that. So that's it for this episode. Do you have any last minute closing advice by any chance for our listeners?
0: Yeah. Obviously, I'd encourage anyone, if they'd like, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'd happily connect there. Happy to do so. There's my last name, by the way. And then with regards to uh, more information about this and some of the things that we talked about, you can go to universalaccounting.com, and there we have a free resource page where we have various things that what I've been alluding to are available for free that you can take and uh, have access to. And then the last thing, as I always say this, if it's about accounting, it is universal.
2: Exactly. Could not agree more. On that note, I want to thank you for your time, Roger. This has been a powerful episode.
0: My pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Have a great day. Of course, you too.
2: I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests, and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Roger, head over to UniversalAccounting.com. It's U-N-I-V-E-R-S-A-L-A-C-C. O-U-N-T-I-N-G Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help.